Welcome back to Northway's Deep Group Podcast. Rodney Mills here, and I'll be your host. And I don't know if you know much about me or not, but I absolutely love food. I mean, I know we all have at least a common interest in food because it's necessary for life and all, but my affection for it goes way beyond the practical application. To me, eating food with good folks is just about as good as it gets in this life. I've kind of always been that way, too. Back when my metabolism rate was about 10 times better than it is now, I used to say my four favorite words are, all you can eat. I have such a fond remembrance of Huntsville, Alabama, because when I was in the ninth grade, a guy in our church asked if I had ever had Krispy Kreme donuts. Well, when he found out I hadn't, he loaded me up, and we headed over to Huntsville, and he ordered up two dozen hot ones. I don't know if you've ever had those. They're incredible. And so he hands a, a dozen of those in a box back to me in the back seat. And within just a few minutes, I said, you got any more of those? I mean, I had finished the whole dozen. Oh, my goodness. There are so many of these stories. And the first pastor I worked for, he, he came with a pickup truck and the smallest U-Haul trailer to move me and Christy to Sevierville, Tennessee. And, and on the way up, we stopped at a Cracker Barrel. And he told me to get the big old Uncle Herschel's breakfast. I don't know if you've ever had that either. It's, it's the biggest one on the menu. I finished that off, and, and he would kind of jokingly said, do you want another one? And I said, in my youthful innocence, I said, well, would that be all right? And he said, sure. And so they all had to sit there and wait on me to finish off another round of Hirsch, Uncle Herschel's big old breakfast. And the, but the best story, and I'm telling you, there's so many of these. The best story, and, and perhaps even a bit embarrassing, is when Carrie and Elaine Skinner and Christy and I, we went to Papacito's, one of my favorite restaurants, and we went to celebrate our birthdays, and man, I love that place. We're sitting there, and I'm just in heaven, and I'm, I'm talking about those bacon-wrapped shrimp brochette. They're stuffed with cheese and just a sliver of jalapeno, and I'm, I'm baptizing them and, and baptizing those little things in the Montaquilla sauce. I was so overwhelmed that I actually began to weep. No kidding. Tears of joy. Oh, man, I'll never live it down. And I'm just telling you, food is a spiritual experience for me. And I'll bet at least a few of you are like that out there as well. Well, I think we're in pretty good company. And in fact, as strange as it may sound, this whole idea of eating and food, that's what we're going to talk about today as we learn what it means to fish like Jesus. Let me ask you how you would finish this statement. The Son of Man came, and you finish out the, the, the sentence. The Son of Man came, what might we say there? The Son of Man came preaching the word, uh, establishing the kingdom. The Son of Man came to die on a cross. Well, there are actually three ways the gospel writers finish that statement. The first one's found in Mark 10. The Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve and to give his life away as a ransom for many. We've already talked about that one. Uh, Luke 19 says, For the Son of Man came to seek and to save the lost. And then Matthew 11 says, The Son of Man came eating and drinking. <laughs> My favorite. This is really important here. And you got to get this. Those first two, they clarify Jesus' purpose. They define why he came. He came to serve. He came to give his life, to seek and to save. If you've ever really wondered what his mission was, you'll find it in those first two statements. But the third statement is about his method. How did Jesus come? 
He came eating and drinking. You see, the dinner table was central to the method of his serving and seeking and saving. Of course, that's why the religious elite struggled with him. They expected the Son of Man, a title from the prophetic book of Daniel, they expected the Son of Man to come with an army of angels or on clouds of heaven in a blaze of glory. But how does Jesus come? Eating and drinking. I'm telling you, the way he loved the dinner table, I just know he and I would have gotten along just fine. You see, when Jesus commissioned his disciples in Matthew 28 to go and make disciples of the nations, baptizing them, teaching them to obey everything Jesus commanded, he wasn't asking them to do something he hadn't fully prepared them to do. He had modeled it step by step how to do it. And he had promised his disciples from the very beginning that if they stuck with him, not only would they know how to do it, but that they would be tremendously successful. In fact, why don't we go back to the beginning of their story in Luke 5 and and see just how this unfolded. This is very early in Jesus' ministry. He's begun preaching the gospel of the kingdom in a few synagogues, and he's performed a couple of miraculous healings. The crowd is really beginning to build now, and so here we are, Luke 5, verse 1. As the crowd was pressing in on Jesus to hear God's word, he was standing by Lake Gennesaret. He saw two boats at the edge of the lake. The fishermen had left them and were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, which belonged to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from land. And Then he sat down and was teaching the crowds from the boat. And when he had finished speaking, he said to Simon, Put out into deep water. And let down your nets for a catch. Master, Simon replied, we've worked hard all night long. We've caught nothing. But if you say so, I'll let down the nets. And when they did this, they caught a great number of fish, and their nets began to tear. So they signaled to their partners in the other boat to come and help them. They came and filled both boats, so, so full that they began to sink. And when Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, because I'm a sinful man, Lord. For he and all those with him were amazed at the catch of fish that they had taken. And so were James and John, Zebedee's sons, who were Simon's partners. Don't be afraid, Jesus told Simon. From now on, you will be catching people. Then they brought the boats to land, left everything, and followed him. Ah, what a special story. From now on, you will be catching people. Jesus was saying in a language and lingo that these fishermen would have understood that there's a new goal for your life. He was inviting them to come fish like him. And that's the subject for our our session today, fish like Jesus. Mark relays this interaction in in a bit of a different way. We were reading this passage together in our D group coaches training one night and and my son, Brad, he, he, he noticed something in the New American Standard Translation that, that caught his attention. Listen to this subtle difference. And Jesus said to them, follow me and I will make you become fishers of men. Immediately, they left their nets and followed him. Now, those of us who have been in the faith for a long time might recall that to say something like this, I'll make you fishers of men. But if this translation is more accurate, that Jesus will make us to become fishers of men, it means instead of Jesus just automatically making you into a new fisherman, there's a process we go through to actually become a fisherman. And this is why following Jesus is so important, why observing his patterns, his choices of who to be with, the way he talks about spiritual things, all that stuff, all that is so important because he's helping us to become a fisherman. Now, I'll just be quite frank, I've never been a fisherman 
my first pastor I mentioned earlier in that story at Cracker Barrel. He was an avid fisherman, and one of the first things he wanted to do with me was to get me out on the lake in his big old bass boat. I'm going to tell you, I didn't know the first thing about it, but he did, and he taught me very patiently, step by step, how to do it how to use the right bait, how to cast it, how to patiently work it, reeling it in slowly, then repeating. Now, to be honest, I don't remember catching anything that day, but had I stuck with him, I would have learned it because he was really quite good at it. So again, Jesus' point was, come follow me and I will make you to become fishers of men. His intention was to equip them for the Great Commission. And this is why we use the language of apprenticeship. Jesus was bringing those disciples around him so he could have close personal interaction with them so they could watch his methods. So let's follow along with him just for a little while and let's see what we discover. As we've already seen, Jesus has called his first few disciples to apprentice with him, fishermen they were. Both Mark and Luke record for us the calling of Matthew or Levi as Jesus' next disciple. We're in Mark 2 now, and so we're going to look at how this unfolds. I love the plain language used here in the New Living Translation. Then Jesus went out to the lakeshore again and taught the crowds that were coming to him. As he walked along, he saw Levi, son of Alphaeus, sitting at his tax collector's booth. Follow me and be my disciple, Jesus said to him. So Levi got up and followed him. Man, I just love how these guys responded so immediately and completely. Net droppers, tax booth abandoners. I wonder sometimes, have have we done that? Have, Have we gone all in like that? It really is a powerful first step. But let's keep watching, though. Later, Levi invited Jesus and his disciples to his home as dinner guests, along with many tax collectors and other disreputable sinners. There were many people of this kind among Jesus's followers. Now, you've just got to love this. Many disreputable people were among his followers. Jesus didn't try to keep his own reputation clean. He went to where the people needed him. And of course, here we find him very early in his ministry, modeling for his disciples that the dinner table is the perfect place to meet with sinners. He didn't invite them down to the synagogue. He accepted the invitation to hang out with them on their turf, in a non-religious atmosphere. Of course, that's not what good church-going folks would do. Don't let your good be evil spoken of and all that. And listen to what they say. But when the teachers of religious law, who were Pharisees, saw him eating with tax collectors and other sinners, they asked his disciples, why does he eat with such scum? And when Jesus heard this, he told them, healthy people don't need a doctor, sick people do. I've come to call not those who think they are righteous, but those who know they are sinners. Now this is such an important lesson, and it's so radical. What Jesus is modeling for his apprentices is that he didn't come to just hang out in the church. Watch his ministry. He's almost always out in public somewhere. Uh, He did do some important things in the temple, preaching there from time to time, yet he spent the majority of his time out in the streets, on the hillsides, and especially around the dinner table. Why? Because that's where the people who need him most are found. I mean, so many churches... And certainly, I've been guilty of this over the years. We think the answer to reaching more people is to plan more events at the church. And what ends up happening is we get so inward-focused. More Bible studies, more fellowships, more church services. And believe it or not, though, that's not really the Jesus way. His way is to go where the people are, especially the disreputable, and simply have dinner. Dinner. 
The more activities a church plans for itself, the less time they have for actually fishing like Jesus. Now Luke's gospel, I'm telling you, it's just full of stories eating with people. The story we just read of Jesus eating with Levi, that's found in Luke 5. In Luke 7, Jesus is anointed at the home of Simon the Pharisee during a meal. In Luke 9, Jesus feeds 5,000. In Luke 10, Jesus sends 72 of his disciples out on a mission. And their instruction is to go two by two and discover a person of peace where they can stay and do their work. Now, here's how it specifically reads. I'm at verse 5 in Luke 10. Whatever house you enter, first say, peace to this household. If a person of peace is there, your peace will rest on him. But if not, it will return to you. And notice what he says next. Remain in the same house, eating and drinking what they offer. For the worker is worthy of his wages. Don't move from house to house. And when you enter any town and they welcome you, here it is again. Eat the things set before you. Heal the sick who are there and tell them the kingdom of God has come near you. Now, this is such an important concept, so let's take a sidebar here to talk about it for a moment. I reference it a lot, this person of peace. We usually talk about it in terms of someone who is not currently a Christ follower, but potentially could be. A person of peace is someone who is open to you, someone who is not resistant. I think of it as someone who, with whom I have something in common or, or just have a rapport with. And then through that natural connection you seem to have, it gives us the pathways to talk about faith and eventually even help that person discover the life they were meant to live. Missionaries often use this technique when they go into an unreached people group that, that once they've found or discovered a person of peace, God uses that initial relationship as an open door for that person's own circle of influence. And so the point is, always be on the lookout for your persons of peace. But back to our stories, Luke just keeps these dinner table stories going. Also in chapter 10, we see Jesus eating with Mary and Martha. In chapter 11, Jesus condemns the Pharisees and the teachers of the law at a meal. In chapter 14, he, he urges people to invite the poor to their meals rather than just their friends. And that's also the same, the same chapter where Jesus tells the parable of how the master sent the servant out to the highways and hedges to bring in all kinds of guests that his house may be full for the dinner party he had planned. And who could forget Zacchaeus in chapter 19, the man enshrined forever as the wee little man. Jesus invites himself over to his house for dinner. And then, as Jesus' earthly life is nearing end, we see him in chapter 22 at the Last Supper with his disciples. And finally, following the resurrection, the risen Christ has a meal with two disciples in Emmaus and then later eats fish with the disciples in Jerusalem. One writer said, in Luke's gospel, Jesus is either going to a meal, at a meal, or coming from a meal. Now, on one hand, we could say, of course Jesus was eating meals. We all have to eat to survive. But the real point is noticing what's going on as the writers are describing mealtime. It's who he's with and the conversations that are taking place. And really, it is the very nature of how he's operating. Look at how Jesus repeats what the religious elite were saying about him and even how they compared him to John the Baptist. For John came neither eating nor drinking, and they say, he has a demon. The Son of Man came eating and drinking, and they say, look, a glutton and a drunkard, a friend of tax collectors and sinners. You see, John was marked by his abstinence 
Jesus by his regular gatherings around the dinner table. I love the way Jim Chester puts it in his book called Meals with Jesus. This is why eating and drinking were so important in the mission of Jesus. They were a sign of his friendship with tax collectors and sinners. His excess of food and his excess of grace are linked. In the ministry of Jesus, meals were enacted grace, community, and mission. So the meals of Jesus represent something bigger. They represent a new world, a new kingdom, a new outlook. But they gave that new reality substance. Jesus' meals are not just symbols, they're also application. They're not just pictures, they're the real thing in miniature. They represent friendship, community, and welcome. And here it is even more plainly. If you truly want to apprentice your life to fish like Jesus, if you really walk with him and work with him watching how he does it, much of what you experience will be around the dinner table. The Son of Man came eating and drinking. It's, it's just not complicated. True, it's not always easy. I mean, it involves people invading your space or going to places where you don't feel comfortable. But it's not complicated. If you share a meal three or four times a week and you have a passion for Jesus, then you will be building up the Christian community and reaching out in mission. You'll be fishing like Jesus. Well, the Pharisees are truly stumped by the way Jesus is going about his ministry. Back at the story with Levi in Luke chapter 5, they make this statement. John's disciples fast often and say, and say prayers, and those of the Pharisees do the same. But yours eat and drink. You see, the Jews fasted to call upon God to come in mercy, to liberate the nation. But what if God's Messiah, full of mercy, is here, sitting at the table with the tax collectors? But then in verses 36 through 39, Jesus makes it, it, makes it explicit. He says something radically new is happening. It's not just an amendment to an old system. You don't sew a, a new patch on an old garment or put new wine in old wineskins. Grace can't be integrated with self-righteousness and self-importance. It's radically different, radically new, and this is the new way Jesus is calling us to as well. I mean, think about it. The new way is gracious rather than religious, inclusive rather than exclusive, welcoming rather than unwelcoming. It is characterized by feasting rather than fasting, rejoicing rather than grumbling. It recognizes its, is it, it recognizes its need and finds hope in the Savior rather than feeling self-righteous and therefore rejecting a Savior. Compare those two kinds of lists. Are you living as someone who belongs to the new way? You see, this is how Jesus explains himself. It is not those who are healthy who need a doctor, but those who are sick. I have not come to call the righteous, but sinners to repentance. The Pharisees are asking Jesus to behave like a doctor who avoids the sick people. And such a doctor clearly couldn't do his work. Jesus the Savior can't do his work unless he's with sinful people. And listen to me, friend. It's the same for those who follow Jesus. We can't do our work appointing sinners to the Savior unless we spend time with them. The first thing Levi does after following Jesus is to throw a party. Oh, it's not a fellowship for his new small, gr small group down at church, but it's for his sin-sick friends and fellow swindlers. You see, when Jesus eats with Levi, the message is clear. Jesus has come for losers, 
people on the margins, people who made a mess of their lives, people who are ordinary. I'm afraid too many of us have lost our zeal for our disreputable friends. Or more likely, maybe we've gotten so used to being with our church friends, we don't even have any good disreputable friends anymore. Maybe our church schedules have left us little time for it. Maybe our new behavior makes it hard to hang out with old friends. Maybe we've been warned of the influence they may have on us. But listen closely, friends. Those who avoid the contamination of sinners are like the Pharisees. But those who earn the label friend of sinners are like their Savior. This is what it means to truly fish like Jesus. Fishermen go to where the fish are. They don't wait for the fish to come to them. And if we return to the beginning of the story where Jesus has stepped into the boat with Peter and Andrew, we see that Jesus was so confident of his disciples' success. He gave them instructions to put out into the deep water, to cast their nets. Oh, it didn't make much sense to them. They'd been fishing these waters all night and caught nothing. But when Jesus gets involved, when he gets involved in the fishing expedition, something extraordinary happens. Cast your nets, Peter. And what was the result? just about more fish than they could handle. And what a metaphor for the life of a disciple of Christ. Ah, friends, don't get weary. I mean, perhaps many of us have never caught a single fish. We've never had success at bringing someone into the faith. But we've got to ask some questions to ourselves. Is it because we don't have faith to believe what Jesus tells us? Have we docked our fishing boat on the shoreline because we just don't believe there are any fish left? Have we cast the net a time or two and it came back empty? Ah, friend, let's hear the voice of the master. For once, let's get off of dry land and go to where the fish are. Let's push on out into the deep water. Let's take some risk. Let's do the uncomfortable. And even what may seem questionable to some, let's hang out with the disreputable. Let's find our persons of peace. Let's follow Jesus' example of eating and drinking with sinners. Let's learn to fish like Jesus. And who knows? Just maybe the nets will be bursting and our boats barely able to handle the numbers of people who discovered the life that they were meant to live. Well, as we bring this challenge to a close, I don't want to just leave you simply inspired. I want to also offer some practical advice to help you put this into action. I'm not going to go too deeply into detail, but at least just take a look at this with me. First of all, there are three things you need to get clear about. Number one, get clear about what you have received and are experiencing. How would you describe that? What difference has Jesus made in your life? New life, living water, forgiveness and hope? This is why it's so important to keep your relationship with Jesus alive enough to spark contagious conversation. And really, this little item right here might be good for you to even write it out. What have you received and what are you experiencing in your life with Jesus? Next, get clear about what we have to offer. People are radically disoriented. And that's why one of the ways the gospel writers described Jesus' purpose was that he came to seek and to save the lost, the disoriented. So that's what we have to offer as well. We're helping people discover the life they were meant to live. So get clear about what you've received and are experiencing and, and get clear about what we have to offer. And also get clear about your assignment. Jesus said he'd make us to become fishers of men. And he showed us the way, too. Now, at Northway, we say the first part of our assignment to make disciples is to build relationships and bridges to unchurched friends. In other words, our assignment is to fish like Jesus. That's our role. Paul put it so clearly to the Corinthians. 
And God has given us this task of reconciling people to him. For God was in Christ reconciling the world to himself, no longer counting people's sins against them. And listen, he gave us this wonderful message of reconciliation. So we are Christ's ambassadors. God is making his appeal through us. We speak for Christ when we plead, come back to God. That's our assignment. Ambassadors, messengers of reconciliation, bridge builders to unchurched friends, pleading with them, come back to God. Discover the life you were meant to live. Now, last of all, let me offer up what we might call the five habits of highly effective fishers of men. It's not an exact science, and, and it's, it's really not meant to be a, a no-fail formula. These are just some ways to help us to stay consistently on task. Habit number one, discover your persons of peace. Now, this is why being salt and light, like we talked about in our last session, is so important. It builds your credibility in your spheres of influence. Now again, persons of peace are people who seem to open to who seem open to relationship. You've hit it off with them at work or maybe at your kids' ball practice. And so you say something like this, "Hey, let's get together sometime. I'd love to hear more of your story." And that leads us to our second habit: practice hospitality evangelism. The meal table or the coffee table is a perfect place to build relationships. And that's what you're doing. You're building friendships. And like Jesus, you're doing that by simply being together, whether it's in a restaurant or even in your house. Just remember, for some people, the door to the kingdom might just be the front door of your home. Or how about doing like Matthew and consider throwing a a party with a purpose? You're practicing hospitality evangelism. Now, as you're building these relationships, be sure to practice this third habit. Always be listening for disoriented life signals. These clues to disoriented living will give you the open door to helping people discover the life they were meant to live. I heard Andy Stanley talk about this, and it seems really easy to pick up on. You can think of them as the three knots. The first one is this, things are not going well. Times of difficulty, maybe unsettledness. Uh, you, You sense a lack of peace of joy in what they're saying. Uncertainty, maybe. Those kind of things indicate that for your friend, life is not going well. Or maybe it's more of a life crisis, and you hear them say that they were not prepared for this. Maybe it's the loss of a loved one or loss of a job, divorce or some tragic event, and they need direction. They, weren't prefer- they were not prepared for it. And along the way, you'll probably also hear them confess that they are not in church. Now, that's pretty self-explanatory, I know. That person may have never been in church or even heard much about the life Jesus has to offer. But still, many of them probably have been in church at some point. And a few of them may have even been Christ followers in the past. But if they're not in church, it's not likely that they're following the Jesus way, is it? Now, when you hear that kind of language, not going well, not prepared for, or not in church, chances are pretty good that they're in need of direction in life. So what do you do if you hear it? If you hear that kind of language, you keep inviting. And that's the fourth habit. It's simply invite, invite, invite. Continue to invite people to take the next step in your relationship. Invite them, in a sense, to follow you in this journey. You're like a trail guide on the disciples' trail. You're inviting them to follow you. Oh, it might not be explicit at first, 
But as you follow the leading of the Holy Spirit, you're taking initiative to metaphorically extend your hand of invitation and and to bring them down the trail. So you invite them to coffee, then to lunch, then into your home, and then to a Northway Easy Invite event. And of course, habit five is to bring your unchurched friends to church. You're like the Samaritan lady at the well who ran back to the village after her encounter with Jesus, and, and she said, come see a man. And sure enough, those friends became believers and followers of Jesus as well. She was a person of peace that Jesus discovered, and then she turned her village upside down. Now, church on Sundays is certainly not the only place a person makes their decision to follow Christ. In fact, in our next session, we'll be talking about some ways for you to share that particular invitation yourself. But we all know that there's something special that happens at church. God's presence is experienced. The fellowship of one anothering is on display. The sermons inspire and provoke deeper spiritual thinking. And as a person is challenged to not stay as they are, but to find their hope and peace in Jesus, oftentimes life-changing decisions are made in that environment, or at least because of something they experience there. So build your relationships through hospitality evangelism and easy invite events, but at some point, bring your friend to church. Jesus said, I'll make you become fishers of men, and I believe he meant what he said. So let's follow his patterns. Let's go where the fish are. Let's take time to understand who they are and where they are in life. Let's see ourselves as trail guides on the disciples' trail, And let's trust God and His Holy Spirit to give us success as His ambassadors, His messengers of reconciliation. Start this week, friend. Be watching and listening closely. Discover your persons of peace. Develop those fishing habits we talked about, and let's get busy fishing like Jesus.